teeth, human teeth, put into keys. Yeah. Key. Ew. Okay. Imagine, imagine you're away, and then imagine those keys are like, like wisdom teeth, like the top of them. Oh and my like, god, they're I all bumpy. That. Ew. My fingers hurt. <laughs> Ew, 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 ew. I get the same feeling when I think about touching cotton balls. You don't touch cotton balls? I hate, I hate the feel. I, what if I, I bit one? When I, <laughs> get away from me. I, every time I have to touch a cotton ball, I like, I immediately crush it like in my hand because I just hate the feeling of it hmm. on my fingertips. I hate it. I get it. I, I actually know a couple people who are like that with tennis balls. Oh, yeah, I can see because they're gross. <laughs> oh, 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 hi. hi. Didn't see you there. That's Catherine. And I'm here with the woman responsible for making the Tide Pod Challenge, Amelie. <laughs> but it's. And yeah, this it's, is uh, doing crime, hi. by the way. Hi, a true crime podcast, a true crime conversation, really. Really. And um, that's in our, our about me. <laughs> last last week, we fucked up the beginning. And then Blake listened to it, and he was like, oh, you also fucked up the end. And I was like, oh, yeah, we did. It was just a big fuck sandwich. It was. But you know what? Yeah. It was great. Yeah. I had a good time. Me too. So what are we talking about this week? This week, we're talking about murder. Not state-specific. Not anywhere specific, really, I guess. Oh, I thought we were doing international crimes. Oh, I just did my own thing then. Never. But this I, is the most organized <laughs> we've actually ever been. We're harried professionals. <laughs> also, I would like to, just a quick aside, I was in my local Walmart, as one does mm-hmm. in the great state of Arkansas. Arkansas has the best Walmart. They won at every interstate exit. Absolutely. Literally. Nothing They're, but farmland. Walmart. There are five Walmarts in my small, small town. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Lip Smackers, oh, yeah. the cherished brand of all 90s babies. And 80s. And 80s. Yeah, 80s. 80s babies. Am I allowed to like Lip Smackers? Yeah, you are. Okay, thanks. So <laughs> Lip Smackers... Re- <laughs> Lip Smackers recently... I don't well. I don't know if it's. I just saw it. I've recently discovered lip smackers came out with clear lip glosses again, and not only are they clear, but they're scented and flavored like Give they me used that. to. Let me smell it. For I God's got sake. okay. This has been I built got up so much. I got the. I was looking for the blue raspberry because that was my go-to. As a just a slutty eight-year-old, <laughs> <laughs> as every as every. Eight year old was eight mm-hmm. eight to twelve year old was in the, uh, the in wettest the, lips, <laughs> so wet, so goopy, like uh, like so honestly, thick and wet. like when you open your mouth, there's like some like webbing. Right yes, there that's first. exactly how it was. <laughs> but you know what? You just kept globbing that oh, shit absolutely. on all like all over your face, and then <laughs> on top of it. You put that fucking Bonnie Bell roll-on glitter on top oh, of your cheeks. Yeah. And then it dries and it's all, like, cracky. Yeah, it looks like dried sperm. Mm. Like, honestly, but there's glitter in it. It's actually just to prepare you for high school. <laughs> yeah, you're like, <laughs> listen. What's it like to have jizz on my face? What is it gonna feel like <laughs> when I forget to wipe it off? <laughs> or you just are too tired and you're just like, you know what, fuck it, I'll take care of it. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> so they had strawberry. I never wore strawberry because I was I was always a, a blue leaning lady. I either got blue raspberry, which it took me way too long to figure out there's no such thing as a blue raspberry. But everything blue raspberry tastes amazing. Yeah, you always pick the blue raspberry. Fuck yeah, thing. man. Always. And cotton candy. Now, this mm. was, I had this in the spray form, and my friend had this in the lip gloss. I had, okay, I had the cotton candy spray mm-hmm. because I lip can, smackers. I can literally smell it already. Lip like, smackers, for whatever reason, also had body scents that, like, smelled like their lipstick. Smelled like their, they, they didn't have lipsticks. They had, like, chapsticks and this clear-ass lip gloss. Baby makeup. Yeah, baby makeup. So I had this spray, and you would spray it, and it would also smell a little bit like rubbing alcohol. Yeah. Yeah. So so now, as an older person, I just spray it on when I'm driving and drinking. Yes. And I'll just be like, officer, and I just spray it directly into his face. Yeah. And then... Works like a charm. And Take then his off. eyeballs, <laughs> his eyeballs literally melt. <laughs> So I just want you to smell this, okay. like, on... Also, are you doing your eyeshadow? No, no, sorry. I'm just <laughs> randomly looking at this. This has nothing to do with anything. <laughs> okay. Don't worry Only's, about it, guys. Don't Only's worry about opening it. opening an eyeshadow palette. It's actually my tooth collection. We're a makeup podcast now. <laughs> no, we're not. I want to see what that looks... Oh, I like those colors. This is $5. It's a very... It's a taupe. It's a... There's a taupe theme. Anyway, let they're me smell cool, this fucking cool lip smacker. nudes. Okay, I want you to smell this. Okay, she's like pulling it out. I've literally carried this around with me all week and smelled it every time I feel bad. Yeah. Yep. That Does that not just like elementary school, middle or high? Sorry, junior high. That's literally what all junior high fingering smells like. On my like. nose now. I'm gonna have but zits all over my. What's face. great is that I've put it on once and it's not at all gloopy. It's mm. very like here. I'm gonna. She's applying it. Now, suddenly, <laughs> she has transformed. It's they're DSLs now. I'm wearing <laughs> I'm wearing an Oshkosh Bagosh overall. <laughs> I've got an old navy American flag t-shirt under it. She's dragging a raggedy Ann doll by the arm. I'm I'm wearing a pair of all white keds. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Dude, are you like uh, like a Haley Bop person now? Like the Hale Bop comet? Hale Bop, yeah, like those people who all killed themselves. <laughs> Didn't <laughs> no. they wear white no, they Oh, wore, that was Nikes. They wore Nikes. God damn it. I would give a, a million dollars just for a pair of those. Not really. That's stupid. Nike, sponsor us. Yeah, Nikes sponsor us. We haven't done that in a while. <laughs> no. Actually, Lip Smackers, she just talked about it for like five minutes. Lip Smackers. <laughs> Fucking sponsor us. Okay. This podcast is brought to you by <laughs> Middle School Fingerings. <laughs> Getting fingered on the backseat of the bus. <laughs> I was just about to say, back of the school bus fingerings oh. or under the bleacher fingerings. Uh. Quit, ew. <laughs> the, the terminology getting fingered just makes me sick. Behind the concession stand at the football game. It doesn't matter where it is, unless it's the movie Fear and it's on a fucking roller coaster. (laughs) You know what's weird is that when you think back to all the all the functions that we used to go to as young ladies, 
It was a lot of it was spent just like standing in groups. Yeah. Like not actually paying attention to the sport or activity that oh, was being fuck done. No. No. You just went to hang. You just <laughs> went to Mom, go get fingered behind. You went to go. You went to go meet your. You it's went like to go every- meet your seventh grade boyfriend <laughs> who said hi to you and then walked away. <laughs> Yes. And then you bitched about him with your other seventh grade girlfriends. But then in eighth grade, you couldn't walk into a small space without walking in on somebody getting fingered. Yes. <laughs> and then Or like the world's saddest hand job. And then like or or those kids that would make out in the morning before school Ugh, and God. they would be like dry humping each other. Mm. <laughs> Eight minutes in. This is a murder podcast. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Um, do you want to go first? It's. I mean, let's not do like the who's going first. Let's just, you know what? Yeah, I'm going first. Okay, Kat's going first this week. This week I'm talking about the fucking lipstick killer. Oh, it all ties in. Full circle. It fucking does. I like it. In okay. Fact, because of that, I'm going to try on my new lipstick while you're talking. Should I review it? No. Okay. No one wants to hear that shit. I'm like, Amelie is digging it around in her purse. It's full of receipts. It's full of receipts. <laughs> okay. Tell me the story. I want to hear it. Okay. So William Hirons, otherwise known as the lipstick killer. Oh, spoiler alert. <laughs> uh, he, he, grew, <laughs> he grew up in Lincolnwood, which is a suburb of Chicago. He was born, uh, he was the son of George and Margaret Hirons. George Hirons was the son of immigrants from Luxembourg. If you don't know what Luxembourg is, it's a small country, like so fucking small. Like, so sm- this is kind of international. Kind like once removed, like one degree second, away. Second generation, second generation American, like me. Okay, um, that's not impressive. It's not. Yeah. It's, <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, so, uh, yeah, Luxembourg is, like, a super small country, like, as small as Rhode Island, the state, maybe even a little smaller. And it's sandwiched between France and Germany. Ooh, I'm totally going there. And, like, like the country is fluent. Like, the people of the country are fluent both in French and German because they're used to getting taken over so much. <laughs> So they're like, who are we this week? Are we French? Are we German? Are we Luxembourgian? Who knows? Anywho. Okay. So what's his face? Yeah. uh, George, his father, was the son of immigrants from Luxembourg, and Margaret was a homemaker. We don't know what George did. It was he just a son. Well, I couldn't find out what his job was. Honestly, for a lot of my life, I've been just a daughter. (laughs) That's a full time job. Much to my parents' dismay. Much to their chagrin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Amelie, you're just a daughter. <laughs> That's why I'm a feminist now. Because now I'm a daughter and a feminist. Now I'm a daughter and a woman. <laughs> um. So his his family was poor. They were poor, but they weren't like crazy poor. They were, like, working poor. They were, like, us poor. They were, like, lower middle class poor. Yes, us poor. (laughs) Us poor. Like, they had things. But, like, rich in other things. Yeah, like, rich in not much because their parents, his parents fought so much, so incessantly and so angrily that young uh, Hirons took to wandering the streets to avoid listening to them. Hmm. 
So his parents, his parents fought so much <laughs> that him at like seven was like, you know, I really got to remove myself from this toxic situation. I mean, I know we're like a non-country and it's really dangerous out there, but I just can't take it. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I need out. Like, <laughs> I have to go. Goodbye. <laughs> He's like packing up his like Herbie fully loaded like <laughs> lunchbox. <laughs> it's also not the 80s. It's like. It's also in Chicago. It's like. <laughs> <laughs> He's, what was a case? He, like Steamboat Willie. This was like <laughs> not even the 40s. Anyways. Kids didn't have lunchboxes. No. It was just like a rusty pail <laughs> with like like a damp rag like hanging out of it. It's like, all right, back to the mines. <laughs> uh, so since he was already wandering the streets, he decided to take to crime. Uh, he later, uh, well, his crime of choice was like stealing. He would steal stuff, uh, mostly for fun, uh, but also to release tension. That, it's okay, it's okay. That's just Amelie's daughter. We're recording a little bit earlier, so you'll probably hear some, some I'm background sorry. music. I'm sorry. I'm not. I like it. I am not a fan. <laughs> <clears throat> it's not It's not the child. It's honestly. You know, what she, you know what she could use? Some good street wandering. <laughs> she could, maybe Blake and I should start arguing more. Yeah, like just start <laughs> screaming at each other. But, you know, honest, so he, he mostly stole for fun and also to release tension. You know, his life right now sounds like Aladdin. It's, <laughs> it sounds like a lot of fun. He's just sitting there eating a loaf of bread with a monkey. Also, he never <laughs> sold anything he had stolen. So it was really just kind of like to do it thrill. to just to do it. You know what I mean? So or it, maybe he used the things that he stole. Yeah, he was like, you know what? I could use some fucking dinner. My parents are bitching. Uh, so at uh, 13 years of age, Hirons, uh, William Hirons uh, was arrested. I'm just going to call him Hirons from now on. Hirons. Right. Okay. He was arrested for carrying a loaded gun. He's 13. Wow. He had a gun on him. But this but is also Chicago. The 40s. I mean, well, this is everyone It's not even gun? the 40s yet. <clears throat> it's like the 30s. Oh. Or okay. Like well, the even, late 20s. So it's... All right, it's gun toting time. It's you know what I'm saying. Everyone has a gun. Also, it's Chicago. Yeah. So uh, he was arrested for carrying a loaded gun. A subsequent search of the of his parents' home discovered a a a number of stolen hidden uh, of wow of stolen weapons hidden in an unused storage shed on the roof of a nearby building, along with. Furs, suits, cameras, radio, and jewelry he had stolen. You know, I bet his parents were like, you stole all this nice shit. It would be so cool if you would have sold it. Yeah. Maybe we could have moved up a little. Right. Like, come on. <laughs> if you're going to steal, do it right. Like, honestly, be a team player. That's what their parents always fought about. Yeah. Because her like, husband never taught his son how to properly. Like, he was a master thief. <laughs> like, a master Luxembourgian jewel thief. <laughs> And, he, and she was like, it's time for him to learn the business. And he was like, no, Margaret. <laughs> He's just a bum. He He's just like, sits around and drinks all day. Probably like really like dark beers. What a sick fuck. I like dark beers. I do too, though. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> anyway. Speaking of what? Um, 
Hirons admitted to 11 burglaries and was sent to Jibalt School for Wayward Boys for several months. Honestly, a school for wayward boys is like, it sounds, sounds fun. A, it sounds fun. It sounds like a good time. But no, there's a lot of boy rape. Oh, that is not a good time. No, it's not a fun. I mean, from what I've heard. Uh, he wasn't, though. That's he had, good. He had fine. He was fine. So uh, not long after his release, Hirons was again arrested for, the- or for theft or larceny. This time he was sentenced to three years at the St. Beatty Academy, which was operated by Benedictine monks. I only met a Benedictine monk one time, and he was actually super funny and, like, really chill. I like how you're like, I've only met one. I like, ha- well, I grew most up... Most people have never well, met Well, I one. grew up Catholic and in, in Catholic schools, and Benedictine monks are Catholic. So, oh. yeah. So I've only met one, but he was super chill. He was drinking out of a 40, and it was 11 a.m., and he was real cool. I'm pretty sure he just told you he was a monk to make you feel more comfortable. I mean, I don't... <laughs> oh, then he felt me up. <laughs> um, so during this time at the school, Hiron stood out as an exceptional student excelling in all subject areas, including but not limited to mathematics, biological science, and social sciences. Uh, his test scores were so high that the monks urged him to apply for the University of Chicago, a special learning program. He was accepted into the program just before his release and asked to begin classes in the 1945 fall term, allowing him to bypass high school. He was only 16. Wow. Yeah. So a fun fact about... He excelled at all the things he did. My granddad graduated high school at 16 and went to college. Wow. Yeah, he's super smart. Is he Polish? Is he the no. Polish one? He's my mom's dad who was adopted. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, his parents no. like <laughs> his parents like did the blind side with him. Like they went to the orphanage and they were like, was give us really the smartest one. Oh, but it was like the brainy one. Yeah, the brain the, they were like the listen. Athletic one. We can't we can't have an athlete in the house. <laughs> We have way too many Breakables. porcelain vases. <laughs> His parents really did have so many like knickknacks and like kitschy goods. There like, will be no ball throwing in this house. None. <laughs> Not having any of it. So um, Hirons returned home to live uh, and commuted to the university, but this was impractical and he eventually boarded at the university's Gates Hall. Um, so he. He went home and he was like, fuck this. I can't wander the streets anymore. I get it. Um, his parents were unable to afford either t- the tuition or the boarding, so Hirons worked several evenings a week as an usher and at the university as a docent, docent to pay his way. However, he also resumed his serial burglary even as he studied at the University of Chicago. Uh, University of Chicago, uh, Rena. Oh, this is just an aside. Uh, University of Chicago graduate Reva Berkowitz reports that Hirons was quite popular in the ballroom dancing class that they had together. She said, and I quote, I remember the most popular boy in my class who was handsome, smart, and a good dancer. We all wanted to dance with him. The foxtrot, the tango, or waltz. (laughs) It didn't matter. Is that a gun in your pocket or you just happy to see me? Hey there, Sailor. It is a gun. (laughs) It's actually a loaded <laughs> snub nose revolver, and I need all of your fur. <laughs> Give me that muff, too. Hey. A tat tat tat. <laughs> dilly dilly. 
so on June 5th, 1945, 43-year-old Josephine Ross was found dead in her apartment at 4108 North Kenmore Avenue, Holy Chicago. fuck, that escalated. Yeah. Uh, she had been repeatedly stabbed and her head was wrapped in a dress. Uh, she was presumed to have, have, she was presumed to have surprised an intruder who then killed her. Dark hairs were found clutched in Ross's hand, indicating that she had struggled with the intruder before she was killed. No valuables were taken from the apartment. Ross's, fi- uh, Ross's fiance had an alibi, as did her former boyfriends and ex-husbands, and the police had no other suspects. They looked for a dark-complected, a black guy, who was reported loitering at the apartment or running from the scene, but they were unable to identify or locate him. So this is... Oh, the 30s. <laughs> this is 45. Oh, the 40s. So, I guess you could say that about any yeah, decade, any, really. <laughs> oh, the 2010s. Uh, so this is his first credited victim. And my... What I'm going to assume happened is that since he was already burglaring from uh, while he was at the university, I'm going to assume that he broke into her apartment. She came home, surprised him, and he killed her, and it, like, freaked out, killed her, and then he liked it. Mm-hmm. Like, so... But he didn't steal anything. No, I think he he killed her, and then, and he like, like freaking... Fuck, fuck stealing. Like, yeah, he was like, fuck burglaring. Yeah. You know what I'm going to steal? Lives. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think it, he freaked out, went home, and then was like, holy shit. Like, I bet he had the biggest boner of his life. Oh, yeah. That thing was fucking rock solid. It could cut diamonds. Yeah, he, like, that dick was so fucking hard. <laughs> so Luxembourgian. <laughs> so uh, on December 10th, 1945, so his first victim, credited victim, was June 5th. Now it's December 10th. Frances Brown, a divorced woman, was discovered with a knife lodged in her neck and a bullet wound to the head in her apartment at 3941 North Pine Grove Avenue, Chicago. A knife and a bullet? Yeah. After a cleaning woman heard a radio playing loudly and noted Brown's partly open door, Brown had been... Uh, she Oh, she was found after a cleaning lady had uh, heard her radio playing loudly and her par- seen her door partially open. Uh, Brown had been savagely stabbed, and the authorities thought a burglar had dis- had been discovered or interrupted. No valuables were taken, but someone had written a message in lipstick on the walls of Brown's on the wall of Brown's apartment, and the message was, "For heaven's sake, catch me before I kill more. I cannot control myself." Ah, I was wondering when the lipstick thing was going to yeah. come in. Police found a bloody fingerprint smudge on the door jam of. On the door jam of the entrance door, also there was a possible eyewitness to the killer's escape. An eyewitness, George Weinberg, heard gunshots at about 4 a.m., according to John Derrick. The night clerk stationed at the lobby of the building, a nervous man of 35 to 40 years old and weighing approximately 140 pounds, got off the elevator, fumbled for the door to the street, and left. Four days after the murder, the Chicago police announced they had reason to believe the killer was a woman, uh, song maker, song makers, uh, Gloria Sklarov and Harry Lloyd may have referenced, may have referred to this murder in their song Hollywood Seven. I don't know why, why they, they thought it was, it was a, woman. a woman. I don't know. I don't know. I can't tell you. Hmm. Uh, provocative. Also, it's weird that they say we knew he was approximately one forty, because it's not like you can be like, hey, stop, step on this scale. I don't know. You can Stop, kinda, thief. You can kind of judge 
how much somebody weighs by looking at them? I wouldn't say approximately, though. You would say exactly? <laughs> no, I would say around. Okay. Well, that's, that's a synonym for approximately. No, it's not. <laughs> yeah, it is. Oh, I thought approximately is like, <clears throat> like exactly. No, approximately is like, eh, uh, about and around. Oh, I've been using approximately <laughs> wrong my entire life. Dude, I taught yeah. you something. Yay! English major over here. On, I'm excited. So on January 7th, 1946. So this is like, I think there were, I think he has some other victims in between the June 5th and the December 10th. Okay. Because that message makes it sound like there's a lot more. Like, for heaven's sake, catch me before I kill more. I cannot control myself. Yeah. And... He escalates, like, well, he, he he escalates by killing another one. The December 10th to January 7th. That's about three months, four months, right? December to January. Oh, well, you 19- said September. 19- no, sorry. Uh, sorry. Um, December 10th, 1945 to January 7th, 1946. Oh, okay. When previously the only wait, the wait time supposedly was July 5th or, or June... June 5th to December 10th. Oh. That makes me think that, like... Well, or he's starting to escalate. Or, like, get into his berserker mode. Uh, So, on January 7th, 1946, six-year-old Suzanne... Six-year-old. One, two, three, four, five, six. Suzanne Degnan was discovered missing from her first-floor bedroom at uh, 5943 North Kenmore Avenue, Edgewater, Chicago. After searching the apartment and not finding the girl, her family called the police. Her disappearance attracted significant publicity, and police <laughs> vowed to find whoever was responsible. Police found a ladder outside the girl's window, which I don't get the because fuck? she was on the first floor. Um, <clears throat> it's just a step ladder. And also discovered a ransom note, which had been overlooked by the family. The note read, Gel 20,000 ready and waiter for word. Do not notify FBI or police. Bills in fives and tens. On the reverse of the note was written, burn this for her safety. A man repeatedly called the Degnan residence, demanded the ransom, but hung up before any meaningful conversation could take place. Chicago Mayor Edward Kelly also received a note, uh, which read, This is to tell you how sorry I am am not to get old Degnan instead of his girl. Roosevelt and the OPA made their own laws. Why shouldn't I and a lot more? At the time, there was a nationwide meatpacker strike. Oh, okay, so the note beginning is, this is to tell you how sorry I am not to get old Degnan instead of his girl. Rose, Hold on. <laughs> this yeah, is to tell you how sorry I am not to get old Degnan instead of his girl. <laughs> Roosevelt and the OPA made their own laws. Why shouldn't I and more? Why okay. shouldn't I and a lot more? I'm and there now. End of note. <laughs> okay. um, at the time, there was a nationwide meatpacker strike, and the Office of Price Administration (OPA) was talking of extending rationing to dairy products. Degnan was a senior OPA executive recently transferred to Chicago. Another executive of the OPA had recently been assigned armed guards after receiving threats against his children, and in Chicago, a man involved with black market meat had recently been murdered by decapitation. Police considered the possibility that uh, that Degnan's killer was a police was a meat packer. 
police questioned the Degnan family's neighbors, but few had seen mutual, a few had seen anything unusual. Also, someone later telephoned police anonymously, suggesting the police look in the sewers near the Degnan home. Yeah. Police did and discovered the young girl's head in a storm oh, drain in a God. storm drain sewer that was in an alley a block from the Degnan residence. Mm. In the same alley, they discovered the girl's right leg in a catch basin, her torso in another storm drain, and her left leg in a drain in another alley. What the fuck? Each location progressively further from her home. Her arms were found a month later in a sewer on the other side of the Howard Elevated train line, more than three blocks from the Degnan mm, residence. I'm having a hard time listening to this. All the drains were capped with circular cast iron manhole covers, yet no one had heard them being lifted or replaced. Searches of an apartment building near where her head was found uncovered a basement laundry room with four tubes that contained evidence indicating that she had been dismembered there. The killer had mopped the floor, but blood was found in, in, in the drains of all but four tube, tubs. The press called it the murder room, although the autopsy showed that she had been alive when taken from her home, murdered at a second location that was never identified, and then taken to the laundry room. Mm. Police questioned hundreds of people regarding the Degnan murder and gave polygraph exams to about 170. On several occasions, authorities claimed to have captured the killer, but the suspect was eventually released. Uh, so mm. witnesses to this, uh, coroner Brody, who was the coroner of Chicago at the time, fixed the time of death at between 1230 and 1am and stated that a very sharp knife had been used to expertly dismember the body. The site was later found to be in the basement of the laundry room at 5901 Winthrop Avenue near the Degnan's home. However, it was determined that Suzanne was already dead when she was taken to the room. Dr. Kearns, the coroner's expert, stated that the killer was either a man who worked in a profession that required the study of anatomy <clears throat> or one with a background in dissection. Not even the average doctor could be as skillful. It had to be a meat cutter. Brody concurred, adding that it was a very clean job with absolutely no signs of hacking. Mm. Um, one second. I just need a drink of your water. You can just have it. I haven't taken a single sip yet. Side note, Good because the reason you... I went and got that is because we're interviewing people and one of them works at the Starbucks on base and I was like, I'm going to go and see if she's working, but I didn't feel like spending money, so I just asked for a water. Ah. And it wasn't her, so. Oh, well, I hope she's having a good night. <coughs> go ahead. <laughs> Sorry. So several residents of the Degnan's Apartments building stated that on the afternoon before the murder, a woman dressed in a man's coat had chased some children after offering them candy, one child was scratched on the face by the woman's long fingernails. Ew. Ethel Hargrove, who Sleep lived in an apartment above the Degnans, arrived home at 12.50 a.m. She reported hearing loud male voices downstairs and dogs barking in the Flynn apartment. Another tenant corroborated the barking at that time. George Sabruntz, Sabruntz, these are This is all just basically like... Also, those were literally... My neighbors, my first apartment. Really? That's them. Oh. Like, I'm pretty sure. You're? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You're the victim. I mean, I don't like to call myself that. But you look good for being, like, in your 70s. Thank you. I'm, The trick your... is heavy drinking, <laughs> smoking for, like, 15 years. Yeah. Um, But face lotion a doc night. A Dr. Pepper a day. <laughs> Absolutely. Like that 113-year-old woman. <laughs> That's the like, only thing that keeps me going. They're like, what do you do? And she's like, I drink Dr. Pepper every day. One a day. <laughs> okay, sorry. 
So, uh, notably, 65-year-old Hector Verberg, uh, a janitor in the building where Degnan lived, was arrested and touted as the suspect. I'm sorry, but Verberg definitely sounds like a janitor's Ver- name. Verberg. Uh, Verberg, <laughs> like like he does like a lot Zoidberg. of like yeah, like he does a lot of like kooky shit, like <laughs> like, whoa, 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 like he dyes the the like the mop water color to like make it look like you're like you're making even more of a mess, <laughs> or like you put some like some hair dye in like his blonde boss's shampoo. <laughs> and they're like Verberg, Verberg, <laughs> wah wah wah. Um, <laughs> Uh, so he was touted as a suspect. Police told the press, this is the man, despite discrepancies between Verberg's profile and the one that was developed by them as to what kind of skills the the killer had, including him having surgical knowledge or at least being a butcher. Police cited such evidence as Verberg's frequenting the so-called murder room in the grimy state of the ransom note, suggesting it was written by a dirty hand, such as that of a janitor. (laughs) So, (laughs) so, so they're like, listen, we know it was him because a janitor's gotta go to the laundry room a lot. It gets dirty in there. Also, he doesn't wash his hands. Fucking. You know what? Not to mention you that, could argue like, that janitor's hands are cleaner since they constantly have cleaner around them. Well, like not to mention they like soak their hands in lye. They basically have skeletal. They hands. have like no <laughs> no hands. <laughs> A janitor like angrily like one star. <laughs> She's like it was my, funny until my hands are fine and they're just like covered in sores. <laughs> like she's a new janitor. It's like terrible typos and shit. She can't properly type. All like both of her pointer fingers are like eaten away <laughs> by like the caustic lie that she has to scrub them an elementary school school floor with because kids keep puking. <laughs> it's like, God it's, damn it! Just stop throwing up. <laughs> Okay, (laughs) sorry. So, uh, police pressured Verberg's wife to implicate her husband in the murder. Police held Verberg for 48 hours of questionings and beatings that severely injured him, including a separated soldier. Shoulder. Throughout, Verberg denied involvement in the murder, and Verberg's janitor union lawyer got Verberg released on a writ of habeas corpus. Verberg said of the experience, Oh, they hanged me up. They blindfolded me. I can't put my arms up. They are sore. They handcuffed me on for hours and hours. They threw me in the cell and blindfolded me. They handcuffed my hands behind my back and pulled me up on bars until my toes touched the floor. I know eat. <laughs> but honestly... I go to the hospital. Oh, I am so sick anymore. And I would have confessed to anything. Verberg, though, I mean, you obviously slipped out of those handcuffs. <laughs> Like, they don't make you have that small. You have to have hands for the cuffs to work. Which is, okay, here's a pro tip if you're a criminal. Okay. Cut your hands off. <laughs> That's a really good idea. Cut your hands off. They can't cuff you. What do you think they do? Just, like, cuff your elbows? Maybe. Yeah. Hey, can you touch your elbows behind your back? <laughs> Harkening back to junior high. Sorry. Okay. No. Oh no, that's like being asked Pat to spell legit eye cup. Trying to do it. <laughs> that's being asked to spell eye cup. I fell yes. for it every time. Or join the pen fifteen. Pen fifteen. Oh, yeah. dude, we wrote pen fifteen on our hands all the time. <laughs> it's like I'll be in the hilarious. <laughs> Me and my fucking blue raspberry goopy mouth. <laughs> 
and my cotton candy shitty body So you spray. had DSLs and you had penis written on your hand. <laughs> it's like Alder in the Pin 15 Club. <laughs> They'll be like, Kat, we already did this joke to you like five times today. And you're like, Alder, Accept me. <laughs> <laughs> my lips are like spider webbing. I'm just globbing on more <laughs> lip gloss. Oh, man. Okay, sorry. Ugh. <clears throat> Verberg spent 10 days in the hospital. It was determined that Verberg, a Belgian immigrant, couldn't write English well enough, even by the crude standards of the ransom note itself, for him to have written it. So he was so illiterate, he couldn't have written that ransom note. He wasn't illiterate. He just wasn't fluent in that yeah. language. Uh, he sued the Chicago, Chicago Police Department, which he rightfully should have, for fifteen thousand yeah. dollars, but was awarded twenty, which Ooh, is approximately wow. two hundred and twenty-two thousand dollars in twenty ten dollars. You know that motherfucker's not a janitor anymore. Yeah, he was like, I mean, goodbye. Not now. He's dead. Goodbye. I have no hands. <laughs> uh, another notable. A false lead was that of Sidney Sherman, a recently discharged Marine who had served in World War II. Police had found blonde hairs in the back of Degnan's apartment building, and nearby was a wire that authorities suspected could have been used to garrot or strangle Suzanne Degnan. Uh, near that was a handkerchief the police suspected might have been used as a gag to keep Suzanne quiet. On the handkerchief was a laundry mark name S. Sherman. The police hoped that perhaps the killer had erred had erred in leaving it behind. What? Oh my god. What? It's Finding Nemo. It's <gasps> the fucking Australian from Finding Nemo. P. Sherman? Nemo. P. Sherman 42 mm-hmm. Wallaby Way, Sydney? That's him. Okay, wow. sorry. <laughs> he, he killed a six-year-old. That's fucked up. Um, <laughs> it's probably, it's brace-faced annoying little <laughs> shit of a niece that kept killing his gifts. <laughs> So they searched the military records and discovered that Sherman lived at the Hyde Park YMCA. Uh, The police went to question Sherman, but discovered that he had vacated the residence without checking out and quit his job without picking up his last paycheck. A nationwide manhunt ensued. Uh, Sherman was later found in Toledo, Ohio. Hey! O-H! I-O! He uh, explained under interrogation that he had eloped with his girlfriend and denied that the handkerchief was his. He administered a polygraph test, which he passed, was later cleared. The handkerchief's real owner, Airman Seymour Sherman of New York City, was eventually found. He had been out of the country when Suzanne Degnan was murdered. He had no idea how it could possibly ended up in Chicago. And the president and the presence of the handkerchief was determined to be a coincidence. Wow, that's a really unlucky coincidence. So in February 1946, Suzanne Degnan's arms were found by sewer workers about a half mile from her home after her remains had already been interred, which means buried. Okay. Actually, I did not know that, so thank you. Really? Okay, so Suzanne had already been buried, and they they found her arms. I know, both of us, about words. I'm excited. Uh, By April, some 370 suspects were questioned and cleared. By this time, the press was taking an increasingly critical tone as to how the police were handling the Degnan investigation. So, this really... uh, Like, where's our boy? Where's our boy in all this? Hiron? Yeah. We're getting to him. So, on June 26, 1946... Uh, 17-year-old William Hirons was arrested on attempted burglary charges when someone saw him breaking into an apartment. As Hirons fled, the building's janitor pursued him and blocked his path out of the building. However, a janitor... Janitors are heroes. Okay, listen. (laughs) 
janitors and firemen are America's superheroes. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. Dude. Like, honestly, though, I would not fucking clean up after people and if I... And poor fucking housekeepers to. are always the one that find the dead bodies. Yeah, okay, listen here. Firemen, janitors... Housekeepers. Housekeepers. Merrick's heroes. Thank you. Um, I'm sorry. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I'm I just hear you aggressively patting into your powder. Uh, <laughs> um, so... Da-da-da-da-da... Uh, um, as Hirons fled, Janner blocked him, blah, blah, blah. However, Hirons allegedly pointed the gun he was carrying at the caretaker saying, let me out or I'll, oh, let me out or I'll let it, you have it in the guts. Ooh. Ooh. When's the last time you heard someone say guts? It's been a while. It's been a while. You're right. The janitor ceased his pursuit. <laughs> you know what, man? It's not fucking worth it. Like, it's been fun, but I'm also carrying a mop, so. <laughs> Hirons, Hirons made his way out to a nearby building to lie low, but a resident spotted him and called the police. As Hirons attempted to escape down a staircase, two officers closed in, one at each end of the staircase. Trapped, Hirons brandished a revolver, perhaps pointing the barrel at one officer. Some reports state that he actually pulled the trigger, but the gun misfired. In the police account, Hirons charged them after his gun misfired twice. In Hirons version, he turned and attempted to run after bluffing with the gun and the cops charged him. A scuffle resulted that ended only when the when an off-duty policeman dropped three clay flower pots on Hirons' head. No. <laughs> One at a time. That is I'm sorry. That's like a fucking That's a talkie right there. <laughs> from the top of it's the stairs. <laughs> Rendering him unconscious. That's also a Tom and Jerry cartoon. <laughs> According to Hirons, he, he uh, remembered drifting into a... Also, he's only 17. Let me... What? Let me rephrase that. Like, let me reiterate wow. that. He's only 17. Uh, he remembered drifting into unconsciousness under questioning. Uh, the police had taken him to Bridewell Hospital, which was adjacent to the Cook County Jail. The questioning became more violent. Violent... Hirons later said he was interrogated around the clock for six consecutive days, being beaten by police and not allowed to eat or drink. He was not allowed to see his parents for four days, and he was refused the opportunity to speak to a lawyer for six days. Uh, two psychiatrists, doctors, uh, gave Hirons sodium pentanol without a warrant. That's truth, truth serum. serum. Yeah. yeah. Uh, without a warrant and without Hirons or his parents' consent and interrogated him for three hours. Under the influence of the drug drugs, authorities claimed Hirons spoke of an alternate personality named George who had actually committed the murders. Hirons claimed that he recalled little of the drug-induced interrogation, and when police asked for George's last name, he said he couldn't remember, but that it was a murmuring name. Uh, a murmuring name? A murmuring name. Police translated this to Merman, and the media later dramatized it to Murder Man. Turns out, Curious George. Absolutely. <laughs> it was a monkey, Hiron was a man, and a big yellow hat. And that's why we have the Treasured Children's Classic today. Um, what Hiron actually said is in dispute as the original transcript has disappeared. In 1952, Dr. Uh, one of the psychiatrists revealed that Hirons had never implicated himself in any of the killings. On his fifth day in custody, Hirons was, Hirons was given a lumbar puncture without anesthesia, Moments Ooh, later, gosh. Hirons was driven to police headquarters for a polygraph test. They tried for a few minutes to administrate the test, but it was rescheduled for several days. 
set for several days later after they found him to be in too much pain to cooperate. When the polygraph was administered, administered authorities, including state's attorney William Tuohy, announced that the results were inconclusive. On July 2, 1946, he was transferred to Cook County Jail, where he was placed in the infirmary to recover. Uh, Cook County Jail sounds familiar. It, it's. I'm pretty sure it's <clears throat> mentioned a lot in like true crime shows and like makes sense. Police reality shows. Okay. Uh, so after the sodium pentanol uh, pen, questioning, but before the polygraph exam, Hiron spoke to Captain Michael Ahern uh, with State's Attorney William Tuohy and a stenographer at hand. Hiron's offered an indirect confession, con- confirming his claim while under cert- sodium pentanol that his alter ego, George Merman, might have been responsible for the crimes. That George, which happens to be his father's first name and Hiron's middle name, had given him the loot to hide in his dormitory room. Police hunted all over for this George, questioning Hiron's known friends, family, and associates, but came away empty-handed. Hirons was attributed as saying while under the influence that he met George when he was 13 years old, that it was George who sent him out prowling at night, that he robbed for pleasure and killed like a cobra when cornered. George mm. related his secrets to Hirons, and Hirons allegedly claimed that he was always taking the rap for George, first for petty theft, then assault, and now murder. I'm sorry, but that guy's a fucking weenie. Yeah. Like, really? Psychologists explained that the, uh, psychologists explained at this, the, at the time that in the same way children make up imaginary friends, Hirons made up this personality to keep his antisocial feelings and the actions separate from the person who could be the average son and student, date nice girls, and go to church. (sighs) So basically they said that he invented this George alter ego because, William Hirons was the nice guy who went to college and, and stole a bunch of shit. Worked two jobs and whatever, and George was the one who was doing all the bad stuff. Hmm. There's a sim- like. Anyways. You know what? I have an alter ego. Do you? I do. Do you want to know her? Cocksuculus. Uh, that's her middle name. Oh, Actually, okay. I'm shocked that you knew that. Maybe I've talked about. <laughs> it's a family it. I name. <laughs> I know that's your brother's it's middle my name. Surname, actually. Isn't no. that Jim's <clears throat> middle name? <laughs> You know, it's funny is Jim actually gave me my murder this week. Cool. I've got to hurry this up. Okay, sorry. sorry. Go ahead. Uh, um, so while handwriting analysts did not uh, definitively link Hiron's handwriting to the lipstick message, police claim that his fingerprints match a print discovered at the scene of the Francis Brown murder. It was first reported as a bloody smudge on the door jam. Furthermore, a fingerprint on the little left finger also allegedly connected Hirons to the ransom note with nine points of comparison. As Hirons' nine points of comparison were loops, this could also provide a match to 65% of the population. So this is fingerprint matching. You're supposed to have X amount of X amount of points of comparison if yeah. for them to say this is your fingerprint, right. this isn't. Hiron only had nine, and they were on loops. So if you have spiral fingerprints, which n- not everyone has, or loop fingerprints, which loop not fingerprints. I have spirals. Um, <clears throat> it's not they they're not always going to try to match a loop because those usually those can be matched with anyone. Like mm-hmm. if you have a loop and if you have a loop in this space in this place, chances are so do a lot of other people. So you're saying I can get away with murder? Yes, without wearing gloves. Yes, excellent. <laughs> 
do it and then get back to me. Okay, done. Uh, so, uh, blah, blah, blah. Hiram's supporters pointed out the FBI at the time, uh, at the time Hiram's supporters pointed out that the FBI handbook regarding fingerprint identification required 12 points of comparison matching to have a positive identification. Uh, he only had nine on one smudged fingerprint. Uh, on June 30th, 1946, Captain, uh, Evans had told newspapers that Hirons had been cleared of suspicion and the Brown murder as a fingerprint left in the apartment was not his. Twelve days later, Chief of Detective Walter Storms confirmed that the bloody smudge left on the door jam was Hirons. So it's a lot of a lot of people saying, it isn't him. It is. Yeah. It isn't. It is. Well, he kind of confessed, though. Yeah. Uh, so police searches without a warrant of Hirons' <gasps> resident and all of this is done without a warrant. Okay. Just saying. Uh, a dorm found the items that earned publicity notably recovered was a scrapbook containing pictures of Nazi officials that belonged to a war veteran, Harry Gold, that was taken when Hirons burgled his place the night Suzanne Degnan was killed. Gold lived in, in the vicinity of the Degnans. This once again put Hirons in the circle of suspicion. Also in Hirons' possession was a, was a stolen copy of Psychopathia Sexualis, uh, which is a fami- famous study done of sexual deviance. In mm. addition, among Hiram's belongings, police discovered a stolen medical kit, but they announced that the medical instruments could not have been linked to the murders. No trace of biological material was found on the tools. Moreover, no biological materials of the victims were found on Harris himself or any of his clothes. Uh, the medical kit tools were considered to be too fine, too small for dissection. Blah, blah, blah. A gun was found in its possession that was linked to a shooting. A Colt police positive revolver had been stolen in a burglary at the apartment of Gary Roderick on December 3rd. Two nights later, a bullet crashed through the closed 8th floor apartment window of Marion Caldwell, wounding her. Hirons had that gun in his possession, and according to Chicago Police Department, the bullet that injured Caldwell was linked through pos- ballistics to the same gun. Uh, that's, a, that's an awful big coincidence. Yeah. So the news and hearse uh, hit the street together with front page layouts showing Hirons as Dr. Jackal, hair combed, and Mr. Hyde, hair must. Uh, he had not yet been charged with the murder, but the Tribune airily convicted him. Uh, their their line was, how Hirons slew three. <laughs> uh, um... Right, da, 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 shoot. So did he do it? Um, well, was he convicted? So the trial happens. Blah blah. blah. There's a lot of backdoor <laughs> bullshit. Um, da, 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 da. so Hiram's defense attorneys felt that he was guilty. Their task, they believed was to save Hirons from the electric tear- chair. Tui, on the other hand, who's the, t- the attorney general, was not certain that he could get a conviction. The small likelihood of a successful murder prosecution of William Hirons early prompted the state's attorney office to seek out and obtain cooperative help from defense counsel, and through them, that of their client. At the prosecution held in the Degnan case was a partial... All the prosecution had in the Degnan case was a partial fingerprint on the ransom note, and it was in this stage of the investigation that defense counsel moved forward in cooperation with state's attorney, Tui. Uh, Hiron's lawyers pressured him to take Tui's plea bargain. That deal, which was the topic 
of the, uh, there was a closed door meeting that Tui was like, let's give him a plea deal, blah, 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 we can't win, stated that Hirons would serve one life sentence if he confessed to the murders of Josephine Ross, Francis Brown, and Suzanne Degnan. Mm-hmm. With, the help of his, <laughs> with the help of his lawyers, he began drafting a confession using the Chicago Tribune article as a guide. Hmm, Okay. So, a guide to how all the murders were done. Right. Okay. As it turned out, the Tribune article was very helpful Helpful as it provided me... This is his quote. As it provided me with a lot of details I didn't know. My attorneys rarely changed anything outright, but I could tell by their faces if I had made a mistake. Or they would say, now, Bill, was that really the way it would happen? Then I would change my story because, obviously, it went against what was known. So, he didn't do it. So... He's, he took the plea deal. He dies in prison. My whole thing with this is... I don't think that he committed these murders. Seems like a really quick escalation from burglary to straight up stabbing someone and shooting them. Yeah, and then from from burglary, <clears throat> from a strangulation to stabbing and shooting to dissecting a 6-year-old. Yeah. Mm. I think it's more likely that Suzanne Degnan was killed by a burglar. A, a butcher. A butcher. A butcher yes. who was mad at her father uh, because he was in charge of the rationing so all of these people were having to go on strike and were, weren't getting paid, weren't able to feed their families. Right, so there was, like, a motive there. It wasn't just yeah. some, like, random killing. And I do think that... I don't know if Josephine Ross and Frances Brown were killed by the same people or person, um, but it does seem that they were burglaries gone wrong. Mm-hmm. I don't know if... Because all of the evidence that they have against him is completely circumstantial. If yeah. if this were tried today, oh, with the same, not only would he be free and walking around because everything was done without a warrant. He asked for a lawyer and they wouldn't let him see a lawyer for six days. Yeah, no, that would. They not tortured happen. him. He's a seventeen-year-old kid. I don't. I don't think that he's guilty of these murders. I think that he was wrongfully convicted. Yeah, because forced confessions are a thing. I mean, they're fucking real. Yeah. Shit. So that was the lipstick killer. Or was it? Was it? You write in. I doubt it. You tell us. My question would be, did the murder stop after he was put in prison? I don't know. I didn't get to look that up. You know, if I was the guilty person and somebody was put in prison for my crime, I'd just go ahead and move out of Chicago. A big... A big uh, theory is that the serial killer Edward Edwards, Edward Wayne Edwards, who was actually turned, who would be an interesting guy to talk to, talk about on this podcast, his daughter actually turned him in. Was it through her pap smear? Yes. <laughs> um, but he was actually in the Chicago area operating at this at mm. this time. So a lot of people think Francis Brown and Josephine Ross were killed by Edward what Edwards. Was, was that his M.O.? Like, just killing people was was his ML. Mm. Uh, so yeah, that was uh, William Hirons. I kind of feel bad for the guy. Yeah, I mean, if he was wrongfully convicted, that's pretty fucked. Yeah, up. good thing he didn't get this death sentence though. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I guess. I mean, he did die in prison. That is kind of yeah. He was seventeen when he was arrested. That's just so crazy to me. 
Shit. Fuck. Yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> um, so I misunderstood the assignment. I thought we were doing international crimes since we're doing state by state. So I decided to um, have my unpaid intern find me an international crime. Thanks, Jim. <clears throat> yes, that is Yim. 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 Fueblum. I have Horace. Okay. Cock succubus. Yim cock succubus Robert Fueblum. That's a proud Swedish name. <laughs> it actually goes way back, so. Like I mean, to like to a king. To the kings. To yeah. king cock succubus. We're basically related to the Gyllenhaals. Yeah. So, anyway. <laughs> Your majesty. <laughs> Thank you. So, this is... Um, Vaterdenke, which is that's that just means like papa or father, but really his name is Carl. <laughs> what do you know? I was like, I wonder who we could do. Let's do a Carl. I also want to call Carl daddy. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people do. You're not alone. That uh, that is my other brother, BT Dubs, my future husband. But this Carl is with a K. Oh. My brother is with a C. You know the witness protection. Isn't as good it's as it's not used really to working, be. but luckily no one listens to this, so it's yeah. fine. <laughs> um, okay, so all right, this one is called the unusual case or the forgotten cannibal because uh, Carl was not a paraphiliac, which I found out was somebody. Oh, fuck, I didn't write it down now, I forget. See, this is why I need to go first because I drink while you're reading, and now I'm I'm a little out of it, but he wasn't an alcoholic. Good to know. Um, there wasn't anything spectacular about his childhood. He was born on August 10th, 1870 in Oberkunzendorf in, um, and then moved to Munst- Munsterberg, which I'm pretty is sure this is where the Sweden? cheese is from. No, I'm pretty sure it's Germany. Okay. Actually, I think it's it was Poland at the time, but now it's Germany. No, it was Germany at the time, but now it's Poland because it's in 1870. Or it was... I feel like it was Poland because I... Czechoslovakia? No, I think it was Poland because I remember looking at it being like, oh, cat. Because, you know, you're Polish. I'm Polish. Anyway, he moved to Munzenberg 10 years later. He quit school and left home at the age of 12 to work as an apprentice as a gardener. When he turned 25, his dad died and his brother took over the family farm while Carl was given money to buy some land. Being an unsuccessful farmer, he sold the land and bought a house in town. Sadly, the recession forced him to sell the property, and he was finally left with a little apartment on the first floor in a small shed in the backyard of the house. Mm. Okay. So his first victim was probably Emma Sander, a 25-year-old girl killed in 1909. Um, However, this was established only 15 years later after his death. He died on a Sunday night on December 21st, 1924. That day, around 1 p.m., a man covered in blood ran into the local police station. He was visibly terrified and told the officers that it was Carl Denke who tried to kill him with a pickaxe. The policeman could not believe the stranger. Uh, Vincent Oliver was a vagabond, while Carl Denke had a perfect reputation among everyone in Munsterberg. A town of 9,000. However, a doctor confirmed that Oliver must have been attacked with a heavy cutting tool. Finally, Denke was arrested. He confirmed attacking Oliver, but he claimed that he was just defending his property from an unknown burglar. A few hours later, Denke's body was found dead in the police station cell. 
the well-respected citizen hanged himself using a handkerchief. So clearly guilty. Yeah. Am I right? So Carl killed himself. Yes. Using a handkerchief? <laughs> a, how big was that handkerchief? And B, also committed, right? How small was his neck? <laughs> His head, like, he had a really hard time holding his head up. He just walked around with, like, his hands on either side of his face. <laughs> oh, my God. He's that girl with the ribbon around her neck. <gasps> oh, my God. <laughs> All he did was just take the handkerchief off and his head fell off. Yeah, but they were like, oh, you know what we should do? Write a really weird story. <laughs> okay. So a few days later, on December 24th, the policeman went to his house. In order to, to describe what they saw here, it's best to refer to the report given by Frederick Pietroski, um, he was the head of the Acting Institute of Legal Medicine. Um, I'm going to go ahead and skip over this. Okay, so here's, this is like a quote. The first finding made in Denke's house during the search were bones and pieces of meat. The latter were in salt, a salt solution found in a wooden drum. There were altogether 15 pieces with skin, two parts of the breast, which is strongly hairy. So they're man breasts. Strongly hairy. I don't know. <laughs> I don't want to judge. Oh, okay. You never know. Maybe some woman had a lot of testosterone. I have one strong boob hair <laughs> that just keeps coming back no matter how you much it gets You have to plucked. use, like, fucking, like, pliers to pull it out. Like, yeah. tweezers just will not do the job. It just keeps coming back, and I <laughs> wish that it would stop. I understand. I get it. So two parts of the breast, uh, sorry, the torso is cut through the middle, three fingers above the navel. Its lateral limit is the front shoulder blade. In the piece of the anterior abdominal wall, the middle of the navel is visible. The remaining pieces belong to the side and back parts. The largest is about 40 by 20 centimeters. This is, this is weird because this is a police report. This is a quote. Particularly striking was a very clean anus with large parts of both buttocks. So, like, he cleaned very the Very clean anus. Like, like, they took time and they were like... That's a clean asshole. But honestly, how many people can describe their anus as very clean? Me, because I look at it all the time. You look at your own anus? How? Yeah. Like with my phone. Do you have a series of mirrors? No. Like, Do you have a periscope that goes into your asshole? <laughs> Actually, I swallow it. It's mm -hmm. like a tiny submarine with a very small crew. <laughs> and I swallow it. It's the magic school bus. It is. <laughs> but like they're traumatized because I'm like... Make sure you clean my <laughs> asshole. I scream it into the, you give their them faces. tiny fucking tweezers and they pluck all the fucking hairs out of yeah. your asshole. And like little mops. And, and then they bleach it. And push brooms. <laughs> but the push brooms get all stopped up. And like <laughs> Leanne's like, never in my old school would I have cleaned an asshole. <laughs> Circle back to the janitors. Yeah. Future janitors. Okay. Um, but heroes. I honestly breathe. <laughs> okay. Oh, fuck. The meat is brownish red and does not feel as if the body would have lost much blood. On the back, some soft bluish discoloration is visible as well as liver mortis, which leads to the conclusion that, to dis that the disassembly of the body took place several hours after death, which is kind of a relief. I mean, honestly. Yeah. I don't know how they died. I would but. hate to have my asshole cleaned while I'm alive. By really? a strange man that was going to eat me. Mm, okay. The eating thing, yeah, but I don't know. I don't think I'd mind that. As long as it's a stranger who I don't have to look in the eye. <laughs> Want Blake down there with, like, a little, like, uh -uh. squirt bottle and a napkin? He would love that. Small circles. Seriously. I'm like, going to talk to him about it. I'm going to say, hey, 
Please don't. You know what? <laughs> we need to get Amelie's asshole strikingly clean. <laughs> okay. Um, in three medium-sized pots filled with cream sauce, some cooked meat partially covered with skin and human hair was found. Oh, you're going to eat the hair? Like, seriously, dude, at least remove the, the hair. That's the worst part. And also, don't eat the skin unless you're eating KFC. Like, Am unless I right? you're frying it. Yeah. Um, the skin's never good. Oh, unless it's like a like a rotisserie chicken. Mm-hmm. Frying a rotisserie. But you still pluck the feathers off the goddamn chicken, yeah, right? Yeah, you don't leave any feathers. That's disgusting. Ew. That's that's where it gets us. Yeah. It's like, really? Ew, hair, really? Um, the Ooh, mi- but I bet that cream sauce was so good. I know. I'm like cream sauce. Mm. Okay. Like any milk-based <laughs> anything is good. Alfredo, get the fuck out of here. Oh, my God. Like a, like a, mm, like, ooh, ooh, like one made, with, like a spicy, made with like heavy whipping cream. <gasps> and you, ooh. Okay, we're talking about okay. cannibalism. <laughs> okay, the meat was pink and soft. All pieces seemed cut from the gluteal area. One pot had only half a portion. Dinky must have eaten the other piece short before we rested. The last assumption is not proven by facts. Police found some human meat, and the one portion was visibly gone. But there's nothing to confirm that Dinky had eaten it. Um, so here's another quote. I should mention, I would like to mention here that there's no evidence that Dinky had ever sold the meat of his victims. All evidence had obviously been eaten. However, it seems certain that his guests, that is the vagabonds, were offered to eat it. Again, this is only an assumption. Um... So the legend of selling human meat on the market must have been widespread since the discovery made in Munstenberg. Uh, because people, it was like a year later that they were talking about this and there right. was like rumors and shit everywhere. So anyway. In the third pot were found numerous pieces of human skin and parts of the aorta in a gelatinous mass. Like? Like jello. Like a jello cool. mold. Cool. No, I don't know. <laughs> Ooh, but instead of like like the gross ones like your aunt makes for Christmas with like the jello with like the fruit in it, mm-hmm. it's one with like an aorta. So it's way, it's less gross. It's a lot more fun. <laughs> <laughs> a bowl on the table in his room was filled with amber colored fat that appeared to be human. Biological tests gave a weak positive result for the presence of human protein. Mm. I feel like there'd be a much stronger positive. Well, it's like 1909. A... Oh, so okay. Like, they don't know shit. In the shed. <laughs> you guys don't know shit in 1909. <laughs> don't worry. No one from that era is listening. In the shed in which uh, the meat pieces were found was also a barrel full of bones that were cleaned of tendons, muscles, etc. That mostly, most probably had been priorly cooked. That was a tongue twister. The investigation initially revealed the existence of six forearm bones, which means that they belong to three people at least. Other traces were found behind the shed. A part of a leg remained in the pond that Dinky had dug many years before, and also skeletal pieces were uncovered in the local forest. Cool. Here's a full list of what has been sent to us for examination. 16 femurs. Of which one pair remarkably strong ones, two pairs of very thin ones, six pairs, and two left femurs, 15 medium-sized pieces of long bones, four pairs of elbow bones, seven heads of radii, nine lower parts of radii, eight lower parts of the elbow, a pair of upper shin bone, a pair of lower, lower elbows and radii, of which extremities still remain connected. So it's like when you eat like those chicken wings that are still connected. Oh. Ugh, I hate that. It's so gross. A pair of upper arms and a pair of upper arm heads which okay is that like the bump that goes into the joint like the ball maybe i'm not sure i'm obviously not a doctor (laughs) i'm 
I am a surgeon. <laughs> Not an upper arm surgeon. <laughs> I'm more of like a, a butthole surgeon. <laughs> I know. You have extensive knowledge in assholes. All right. A pair of collarbones, two shoulder blades, eight he- heels and ankle bones, 120 toes and phalanx. 120 toes. How many people is that? Well, if you're by assuming, 10, 12. If you're assuming everyone has five, that's 10 toes. That's oh, yeah. Uh, 120 divided by 10. You just, God, I'm so stupid. Drop a zero. All right, oh. five first ribs and 150 pieces of ribs. I'm not doing that fucking math, though, because Adam and Eve and shit. Also, the floating rib. Yeah, no. That whole know. thing. Um, all bones, with the exception of a few, were very light, porous, and fatless. In the municipal forest remained parts of a spine and four parts of a clean, dissected male pelvis, which on one side showed traces of saw cutting. Where Only... are the heads? Where are the skulls? Oh, just wait. Oh, okay. Only one piece of head bone was found. <laughs> Look at you. Oh. Jumping ahead. That's okay. I like that you're, I like that you're paying I'm attention. I'm paying attention. Yeah, you I'm... are. I'm asking questions. I like it. I'm showing you that I'm you're an active showing listener. showing me that you're listening. Um, this is a piece of the inferior petrosal sinus area, jagged on the front side. It looks broken. Right and here. Bears. She's pointing to her cheekbone, basically, right next to the nose. Um, it looks broken and bears visible signs of sharp sawing on its top. This piece of bone is cross-marked with ink. Interesting. Hmm. Given the size and condition of the bones, we can assume that there were one particularly strong individual, two others of delicate bone structure, and other from, uh, suffered from coxavera, which I looked up, and it's um, a deformity of the hip where um, one leg is shorter than the other, and so the person would have an obvious limp. Okay. I don't know. I was just like, I don't know what that means. I want to know. Uh, the no, cutting good, surf- good research. Good Thanks. job. That's the only thing I wrote down. <laughs> cool. Uh, the cutting surfaces of the bones are jagged as if blunt force was applied, uh, such as the blunt end of an axe or a hammer. Oh, goddamn. I hope these people were fucking dead first, which they implied that they were. Some bones were visibly sawed. Few parts, few spots show traces of a sharp tool, an axe most probably. Similar such traces were found on the articulations, which must have been cut with a knife. Based on these findings, we were able to declare that the bones sent to us belonged to at least eight people. I would say at least 12, unless these people had way more toes than they like, were supposed to. They uh, Like, they have their toes, and then they also carried around mm-hmm. the baby toes that they lost growing up. In their pocket. <laughs> yeah. Like, they refused to have the toe fairy come visit them. <laughs> like, like, wait, I don't you, guys, the toe fairy. you guys don't, you guys don't have toe fairy? <laughs> weird you get three bucks for a toe <laughs> i mean back then it was like five cents but my, in today's money my parents just gave me pumice stones because <laughs> i didn't take good care of my toes of course other bones were yet to be uncovered over the years to come the last pieces including head bones there you go cat ah. were found in the late 1940s just after world war ii by now polish Inhabitants of the house. Yes. I win. Go Poland. Okay. (laughs) That's the national anthem. Considerably more revealing was Dinky's dental collection. We received a total of 351 teeth, a.k.a. my keyboards. (laughs) That's exactly. And then you bought them. And now you're manufacturing 
artisanal. Inherited them? No, Maybe. <laughs> artisanal <laughs> keyboards. <laughs> These were found in a money bag. Hmm. Money bag. And in two tin boxes on which, quote, pepper and, quote, salt were written, as well as in three paper bags, which were destined to keep pepper. They were partly sorted according to their size. The molars were in the money bag, while the others in the two boxes and in the paper bag. Smart you think man. he tried to, like, sprinkle those Like, on middle C. He's like, this is middle C. They yeah. go in the money bag. <laughs> it's like a full scale of teeth. <laughs> in another paper bag were teeth that belonged probably to a single person, and in a third... I'm sorry. Third bag, three lower incisors were found with strongly atrophic structure. This one came probably from an old individual. All teeth, with the exception of six, were well-preserved. The investigation led us to very notable results. The remains of the bones were definitely of a minimum of eight victims. I mean, we get it, but it's more than eight. However, the circumstances of the case make it likely that the number of victims was much higher. The teeth that were found belonged certainly to at least 20 people. Professor Euler noted, however, that some individual teeth appeared more than twice as often than is statistically expected, um, which suggests that there might have been even more victims. I mean, seriously, how fuck? Come on, the toes. Yeah. The toes. Yeah. The fact that the majority of the victims suffer, suffered from, I don't know what the fuck that is, caries, leads us to think that the number of victims was higher. In addition, it must be stated that the people in old age lacked proper dental treatment. Well, it's like the early 1900s, so what do you expect? Well, like, their dental treatment was was tying a string around one tooth and then tying that string around the, like, the, the back of a cup. Or, I mean, the back of, like, a truck. And then driving off. And then you had A horse to, carriage, though. Yeah. And then you <laughs> had to pay the dentist, like... Like, four sacks of potatoes or, like, give them your daughter's hand in marriage. And to be a dentist, it, it's essentially what it takes to be a tattoo artist today. Yeah. <laughs> They'd be like, can you tell if this is a tooth? And if you could tell between, like, like a rock and a tooth, then you were a dentist. Here's your certificate. Also, do you mind inflicting pain on people? Also, no? also you if you're going to be a dentist... You also need to be our town's notary republic because <laughs> we also need one of those. <laughs> Thank you and good night. Uh, the extractions were done in different ways. Some teeth seem to have been taken out, taken out quite easily due to senile atrophy, while others were rather solidly rooted and extracted with force. Oh. <clears throat> in many cases, <clears throat> we discern parts of the alveolar wand <laughs> some specimens especially the molars and premolars show fractures in tooth and animal that couldn't have occurred during victim's lifetime on some there are traces of claws with very sharp edges so obviously some kind of pliers extractor yeah the appearance of some roots seems to justify the assumption that the jaw had been cooked in advance oh my good god individual individual teeth had been broken probably in the process of extraction Aden again denke had no luck no luck the fuck he got away with like a shit ton of murders for yeah. a long time and you, you know he probably like he probably killed himself because they were like they, he's they're gonna know 
they're gonna go in my house no when in reality they probably would have like they didn't they didn't even believe this man who was bleeding out right. all over their police station i honestly think he was more sad about losing his teeth collection he was like my fucking teeth my toes little did he know some of those toes are my baby toes they'd be inherited and now they're here and we're surrounded by teeth <laughs> In fact, I'm sitting waist deep in teeth. <laughs> okay. It's real smelly. <laughs> you think teeth are smelly? I feel like they would be. You know, okay, I'm sorry, quick sidebar. You know what's weird is like you can find people's identity through their dental impressions. Yeah. Like after they've been dead for years. Mm -hmm. Yet sugar rots your teeth. Like sugar rots your teeth, but being dead for years, they remain intact. What the fuck is that? Yeah, sugar was invented by the government to kill poor people. <laughs> if I was a murderer, which I am not, I would just pour a bunch of sugar on the teeth. Or like, Done. I don't know, Drano. Ew, God, Drano. I feel like sugar oh would God, take a hi-fi murder. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let me finish this. Sorry. Especially interesting is the answer to the question of the age of the victims. From the last, I'm sorry, from the list later mentioned, we know nearly all victims. There are no young individuals among them. Now, there are four wisdom teeth that clearly came from the same people that have peculiarities usually found on the teeth of the 50-year-old. The investigation of the other teeth showed that at least four-fifths of the victims were seniors. Professor Euler summarized that among the victims, there was certainly one person who was not older than 16 years old. Seemingly, he did not figure, out, figure on the mentioned list while the majority were significantly older than 40 years. Two individuals were probably 20 to 30 year old and one between the 30th and 40th year of his life. The test did not give satisfactory results concerning the sex of the individuals nor their jobs. For obvious reasons, nothing specific can be said about the time that elapsed after their death. What is certain is only that some teeth have been extracted years ago. The pulling out of the teeth of young people must have taken place many weeks ago. <laughs> All right, enough with the fucking teeth. Like, what the fuck? It seems like they're There's really There's, like, a bunch focusing. of femurs and, like, fucking upper shoulder bones and shit. But, like, they're real concerned with the teeth. What is with the fucking teeth? I just... I'll <laughs> tell you what's with the teeth. <laughs> All right, so a large number of ID cards and private papers of several persons were found in Dinky's room, as well as account books on revenue from the garden... Did I mention that he was a, a guard? A, yeah, you did. Okay, good. On working hours and so on, they were relatively well managed and clear. More attention was attached to those to some loose leaf sheets of paper on which names of 30 men and women appear. In front of every name, there is a date, probably the date of death of the person. At number 31, there is only a date. The record is chronological. Numbering starts only at number 11. In case of women, only the first name is indicated. The notes for men are much more detailed, usually the date of birth, place of stay, and status of the person concerned. I mean, seriously, sexism has always existed. <laughs> it makes me so sad. Um, the assumption that this is the list of victims is justified by the fact that ID cards found in Dinky's room belong to people whose whereabouts could not be identified otherwise. By the appearance of the sheets, we can assume that the list had not been made in one day. On one side of the sheets, there are initials of the name followed by a number, which most likely indicates the weight of the person concerned. <sighs> 
On another slip of paper next to the name stands what follows. Dead, 122, naked, 107, disemboweled, 83. This last figure uh, is then repeated next to the name of the person concern, concerned in the last table. I just I just can't. I'm just going to skip all this God, because it's how a lot. much how much weight would I lose if I just disemboweled myself? <laughs> Probably a lot. Like how much do organs weigh? Like so much? Probably. I mean, I guess it just depends on your body type. Like I feel like my liver is a large part of what I weigh. That's that that's that like eight pounds that you just can't get rid of. It just keeps hardening and becoming more and more dense. Like your kidneys, like they're just two little rocks on your back. All right. So I'm gonna skip all this shit. Dinky's personality is far from established. All we know about him comes from documents or sparse remarks of his relatives and co-citizens made only after his death. Little doubt people became biased by the shocking revelations. Duh. His crimes were not motivated sexually, and his conduct seems rather rational. I'm sorry, what? Like a farmer. Or a dentist. Ooh, or a dentist. dentist. Um, From all information that we have, we can assume that he has an extremely selfish man, unable to distinguish moral categories. Probably he didn't mean to harm people, but his need for food was... All right, that's fucking stupid. After a series of failures at school, farming business, he found a simple and effective means of procuring food and probably income by killing vagabonds he met at the train station. He could gain their trust quite easily and take them home virtually unnoticed. The train station was a short walk from his place and both were on the outskirts of town. At the end, we shall also speak of one pertinent question. How could Dickie's crimes be perpetrated perpetrated for at least 15 years completely unnoticed by anyone in Munstenberg, including his neighbors. The symptoms were abundant. Some time before Vincent Oliver escaped, the killer in extremis, um, at least two men managed the same, but they didn't report the fact to police as it seems. Once an, an apprentice covered in blood ran out of Denke's apartment, he was never heard of again. Sometime later, a vagabond complained of Denke's, to Denke's neighbors that he had been asked to write a letter and soon after found himself with a chain around his neck. How many times we hear about people, like, being forced to write letters to their loved ones? A lot. Well, not as much anymore. I'm never doing that. Like, I don't know. Mom, Dad, listen here. I'll never write you a letter. <laughs> Fuck you. You know better. Um... <laughs> Anyway, he was uh, stronger than Denke and made his way outside. Nobody reported these to the police. Other facts occurred as well. For instance, repeated complaints of Denke's neighbors about a strong, penetrating smell from his apartment. Red flag. The neighbors noticed as well that he had always had plenty of meat, even the worst period of inflation. They assumed, however, it was dog meat. <gasps> Marcus Parks. <gasps> hey. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> I, too, had a bucket of bones. <laughs> Um, so little attention was given to it, even though black market slaughter of dogs was illegal. Black market. Dude, I'm on the black market. No, I meant like your story. There was like black market meat sellers. Oh, yeah. Nor the buckets of blood he poured into the courtyard made them think. He was often heard. So he's just like coming out of like, oh, that's old dinky out of 102. I mean, I do that. Oh yeah, you're. But your that's front just my yard. period blood, though. <laughs> your your front yard is overwhelmingly <laughs> bloody, like so much so that other neighborhood kids won't come play with your kids. <laughs> is that why? Yeah. Oh, okay, good. I'm glad <laughs> it's not because are, of my, jet, my kid. Your parents are the parents are tired of washing blood out of their <laughs> out of their play clothes. 
He was often heard hammering and sawing at night, but no neighbor would become suspicious. After all, he was preparing the dishes to be sold at the morning market. It's quite remarkable as well that he was probably often seen going out at night with large heavy bags and returning home with empty hands sometime later. Full hands in, full hands out, though. Yeah. I mean, if you don't have full hands out, murderer. Yes. Dentist. My hands are always full. (laughs) My hands are full right now. That's like the fucking way of the kitchen. Yes. At any restaurant. Okay. What was he doing with all those bags and why at night? Where were the old garments and shoes? What was he selling where, or that he was selling come from? It seems plausible that some neighbors were suspicious about Denke, but as long as nobody from the town was hurt, he remained safe. The end. Thank you, Jim. Cool. Thank for you, Jim. That disgusting. I'm surprised story. we've never heard about him. You know why? Because he's international. Yeah. That'll do it. All right. What are your recommendations? My recommendation this week is, okay, so if you follow our Twitter, you probably know my huge love for white wine true crime. I love Caitlin Cutt. I love Carrie Martin. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I love white wine true crime because they always seem to, like, review documentaries, like, right after I've watched them, and mm. I'm like, oh my god, I just watched this, and I love that. They're so fucking funny. They're so funny. Yeah, and like uh, one of the few podcasts that I literally laugh out loud at. Well, they also I haven't given them a chance. Like I don't know why I haven't do listened it. to them. Okay, I, I love them. I will. So, uh, they also have another podcast called Pretty Scary. Um, it's with another host. His name's Adam. Uh, uh and I I love all three of their dynamic. They're so fucking funny and on pretty scary they don't do just like true crime shows or documentaries they talk about like anything like cryptozoology or like Mm -hmm. paranormal ghost shit or like like murders or whatever like true Um, crime adjacent yes nice and it's it's just so funny if you love white wine true crime uh give a pretty scary uh a a look or a listen if you love pretty scary check out white wine true crime because they're both such hilarious shows that i constantly find myself laughing at and i gotta say kat is seriously one of the funniest people i know and if she finds something funny fucking listen to it it's i like i literally cackle when i listen to white wine true crime or carrie martin Um, i mean or pretty scary confession every time kat laughs at something i say i seriously like I come a little. <laughs> I get really excited. I get really excited. What are your recommendations? Okay, so my recommendation this week is, um, it's actually True Crime Story Time, which we did a promo. We mm-hmm. did their promo at the beginning of two episodes ago, which okay. we didn't even mention or talk about. But um, they're a couple of Australian chicks, and they are really good at what they do. Yeah. Like, really good. They cover the story. They're very respectful, unlike us. We're the worst. They're great, though. They're great, and their names are Casey and Samantha, and I highly recommend listening to them. They're great. And that's true crime story time. Yeah, and they do, they cover, like, Australian crime, so it's mostly shit that you don't hear about, unless you listen to Case File, I guess, but I haven't heard a repeat, so Um, really great. They're awesome. So our Twitter is at doing underscore crime. You can find me personally at I have adipose. Omli is at Omli underscore 1010. You can email us your what cases you want to hear us talk about 
Uh, Tell us how amazing we are. Your nudes. Uh, Also, if you're a podcast and you would like for us to promo you on our show and wouldn't mind also promoing us on your show, email us your promo at doingcrimepodcast at gmail.com. And honestly, we put our promos at the beginning of our podcast so everyone hears them. Yeah. Even the skippers, they'll listen to it because they have no fucking choice. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week. Thanks for doing time with Doing Crime. Tip your bartender. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.